Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts, this is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to Dark Unicorn in Conversation. As anyone who has followed our social media over the last few turbulent months will know, our initial response to the coronavirus lockdown was to offer out a a tiny amount of financial aid and a free platform to 100 out-of-work professional actors in the UK and Ireland to provide us with a monologue or musical theatre song for us to use to promote them and their work. A five-strong judging panel, including not only myself and our exec director Eleanor Stoughton, but three other actors from the worlds of West End musical theatre, audio drama and burlesque, identified our 100 and our plan was to stretch no further than offering that platform by featuring two actors a day for 50 days. However, the generosity and creative ideas of a group of friends, supporters and patrons of Dark Unicorn provided to us a £250 viewer's choice prize to award to the featured artist who topped a public poll. The winner of that was Ashley Shires, a Leeds-born actor now based in Bristol, whose performance of Shakespeare's Sonnet 8, complete with his own modernised translation, chimed with a large proportion of our viewers. On the back of that award, we invited Ashley to take part in our conversation series to tell us about how he has forged his career to date and the very interesting performative paths that took en route to the present day. We started by discussing his early years and when he first felt the influence of the arts. Ashley, tell us about your, your early life. Were the arts part of that at all? Or? Um, I mean, I've always been creative. Um, so the arts were, but not necessarily theatre. Um, so um, as a little kid, I always liked drawing. And I ended up um, going to university. So I'm from Leeds, if you can't tell by the accent. And then um, ended up going to university in Bath. Um, to study illustration Um, and at the same time I was also in several bands and toured around doing um, doing gigs in bands and stuff so when I graduated I um, uh, I I was trying to work as a freelance illustrator and and graphic designer and um, 
one of my first jobs was to do the program for a friend's play that he was putting on in the egg theater in Bath and uh, someone had dropped out so um, they were desperate to fill the part they couldn't find anybody that they liked well enough they even came down the pub and asked a bunch of us if we'd if we'd be in the play and we were all like no <laughs> but I, I had to go and get the biographies from the actors because I've been waiting for ages and uh, I mean actors are rubbish at sending in biographies I know that now <laughs> firsthand because I'm rubbish at sending in biographies too and uh, I went to get them I just brought a pad and a pencil and was like just write down something about yourself and um, my friend George who uh, had co-written the play was like while you're here will you just read in so we can rehearse the scene that we haven't been able to do for a while? So I did. And then they were like, cool, you're in the play. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, no, I'm not. And they were like, please. So, so I did the play and it was really good fun. And, um, and I thought, well, that was a cool experience and never thought about doing it again. And, that same week, um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she managed a coffee shop. And one of the regulars um, ran an amateur theater company. And she, she went up to my girlfriend and was like, I need some men. Um, she, couldn't, she couldn't find any, any local um, sort of young male actors. She was like, do you know any? And my girlfriend was like, oh, my, my boyfriend Ash, he's just, he's just done a play at the Egg. Um, so she sort of volunteered me to audition and I ended up playing Reverend Hale in the Crucible. And then from there, someone cast me in another play and, and it just sort of started rolling from there and then I fell in love with it. And so that um, the play at the egg, was that, was that your first experience as an actor or had you performed before? I think outside of doing school plays when I was very, very small. Yeah, that was my mm -hmm. first time. I, I mean... I had trained as a professional wrestler at university as well, which is a like now I've done theatre. It's definitely a type of theatre. Um, so I've I've performed to audiences. Um, I mean, there's no fourth wall in in uh, in in professional wrestling. So uh, I had that kind of experience of of interacting with an audience and playing a character and 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 trying to get them to suspend disbelief. Were you, um, uh, I mean, as a child in Leeds, had you been, were you taken to the theatre or was there any sort of, you know, um, some, people, some people come into this having spent, you know, an entire childhood sitting in the stalls being completely amazed by it and other people have had very little experience of it before. Not massively, but my um, my mum's parents, so my, my, my maternal grandparents loved the theatre. And they, they would take us to see shows maybe once a year and stuff. So um, that was my only real experience of uh, the theatre was probably going to the Grand or the West Yorkshire Playhouse in, in Leeds. Um, maybe once a year, I think, as a kid. You've spoken about, um, you know, your times as a teenager and onwards, you know, playing in bands. So what sort of bands are we talking about? Now, how, how does that, as a musician, how did that shape a view of performing for you? Um, so, um, if you can't tell from, from the, from the tattoo and the, the long hair, um, although the long hair is mostly pandemic hair, uh, I, I am, uh, I'm a lifelong heavy metal fan. <laughs> so, like Iron Maiden, um, 
and and the glam rock scene you know like motley crew and, and bands like that were, were uh, the sort of bands that i was really interested in and emulated a lot in like you know we we started off just playing cover songs we pretty much played only iron maiden and metallica and stuff like that when i was about 15 um and i've seen iron maiden maybe 14 13 times now <laughs> And they're a very theatrical band. All of the bands I, I liked were really theatrical. And um, uh, it wasn't just playing the songs. They put on a show. They, they really tried to put on a show for the audience. So I tried to emulate that, even though I was in like a basement with 20 people. Um, we do things like play guitar solos on each other's shoulders and stick like sparklers on the ends of our guitars and things. You know, Kiss are another ridiculous influence that I used to enjoy so um I think touring in in bands it, it showed me that you really have to think about your audience and what's going to make them go away and go wow or feel something mm. and I think that's true for, for anything creative that's performative so professional wrestling theater film so long as you're thinking about your audience and how you want to make them feel when and what they you want them to go home talking about then there is a kind of similarity across the board with all those things and indeed i mean we, you 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 mentioned there the sort of you know high high theatricality of of some of these bands and and you've also touched on on already about your um time spent training and practicing as a professional wrestler it's another sort of very sort of high theatricality <laughs> uh, industry and indeed combat generally features a lot in your story we'll talk more about that later but but you um discovered this passion for entertainment wrestling if you want for want of a better phrase was that something that long predated your involvement in training for it or i mean how does one come to the point of looking at it and saying well actually that's that's maybe what i'd like to do um oh, man i uh I can't remember loving anything earlier than wrestling. Like that's the first thing I could remember being like, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, I was, I was really little. I mean, I remember my parents took me for my sixth birthday to the Sheffield arena to go see wrestling. Uh -huh. um, so I've loved it a really long time. Um, but I was never an athletic kid. Um, I was uh, kind of a, a a, a dumpy kid never any good at sports so I never thought of doing it and then I went to a show a local show in Bath um, when I was at university and um, got chatting to one of the wrestlers afterwards um, uh, it weirdly he's uh, probably one of the biggest influences on my whole life and has no idea uh, his name was Jekyll I think if you if you go on my Facebook and you scroll back through the years of profile pictures a picture of him putting me in a headlock on the very day he went why don't you just try it why don't why don't you just try it and i think that it started off they were kind of ribbing me because i said well i can't i can't do sports or anything but i'm good at talking and they went i'll prove it so i cut a promo on them and they were like yeah come to come to practice <laughs> so anyway i found a school um the one they were at was too far uh, for me to get to, but I found one in Trowbridge, which doesn't exist anymore, called UCW, and I trained there for a while. Um, and I started off doing like a, a kind of manager character mm. um, because I didn't think I could wrestle. 
And then they were like, well, you come to practice every day. Why don't you just try it? And I tried it and I wasn't as bad at it as I thought I was. So um, I kind of got into it that way, really. Um, um, wrestled on and off for a little while around the Southwest. Uh, just, it was just really fun. Um, and then, then I got injured and then I stopped for a while and kind of didn't, didn't go back. Um, acting had kind of taken over at that point as well because I was injured and I wasn't in a band. Um, and I discovered acting. It, it filled that, that wrestling performing gap. And I fell in love with, with uh, doing theatre shows. But at, at, there did come a point where after some time you, you made a fairly monumental decision to completely uproot and relocate to Canada to further <laughs> trailing. Uh, so to tell us about that. So um, it actually um, closed down um, this year, but um, there was a school in Calgary. And uh, for any people who aren't wrestling fans, Calgary is like the, the mecca of, of wrestling because that's where the Hart family came from. So Bret Hart and his whole family. And, um, and there's a wrestler out there called Lance Storm. And uh, he had a training school out there that had an amazing reputation. And I, I dreamed of going to that school for a really long time. And then I was coming up to my <laughs> birthday and um, I, uh, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it before it's too late. And I just started training like mad in the gym. And I, I wrote him emails and I saved up. And, um, and I moved to Calgary to train with him for three months. <laughs> and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, I think. Training <laughs> or the move or both? Oh, the, the training, the move just kind of happened. So um, my, um, I was just going to go out there for the three months and then come back. And my girlfriend at the time went, I want to go to Canada too. And I was like, but you've got what everybody calls like a, a real job. And she's like, I don't care. I want to go to Canada too. So I was like, okay. So we applied for the visas, uh, the, the working holiday visas, which at the time were one year. And we thought, well, if we both get one, then we'll do it. And halfway through the process, they went, oh, it's two years now. And then we both got one. So we moved to Canada for two years. <laughs> and beyond the training, what, what, what did you do? So um, Calgary, um, if there are any Calgarians watching, I'm really sorry, but there's not a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> and we moved in November. So we moved in the middle of winter. So we, we landed and it was minus 40 and the snow was up to our knees. And um, it's, it's an oil area um is alberta so um it's it's a lot of just kind of gray and brown um and um and then uh i i trained and um part way through training i actually uh broke my ankle um so um i well we thought it was a sprain at first but um yeah so i i took a week off of training and then we finished the course with one leg <laughs> which was really interesting. <laughs> um, I got, got through that and then we're like, you know what, we're right next to Banff, we're right next to the mountains, let's, let's go in the mountains. And uh, you know the bit in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from like black and white to Technicolor? Yeah. It was like that. We got halfway up the mountains and we were like, oh my God, I forgot what green looked like. <laughs> that was really cool. We spent some time in the mountains and then we ended up moving to Toronto. 
where um, we lived for the, the rest of the 18 months we were in Canada. And, and in Toronto, I managed to get involved with some theatre. I performed uh, a few Shakespeare plays out there, which was amazing. Although it was really weird being the only person with an English accent <laughs> performing Shakespeare. Um, but uh, it was great. I met some amazing people, some amazing companies. Uh, I still keep in contact with uh, quite a few from today, which is really nice. Um, and I also started a, a punk band while I was out there too. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, you yourself haven't been to drama school. Um, how has that shaped and perhaps altered your potential experience of working as a, as a professional actor? Um, when, so I started acting coming up to about nine years ago now, um, with that first, very first play of George's that I did. And um, after about two years of doing amateur theatre um, and just kind of learning a bit more with each job and, and I started to look for short courses to learn a bit more and I started asking questions about how I can do more. Every answer I got was you need to go to drama school and you can't be a professional actor if you don't go to drama school. Um, and I can't afford to go to drama school. I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to go to university in the first place to do the illustration course I did. So, um, I, it was frustrating, but I just carried on and just started learning with each gig that I did. And, um, I, I don't know if it's because I performed in another country or if people go, he was a wrestler. I kind of want to meet him. And that gets me into the audition room now, but. Um, since I've moved back from Canada the last sort of two and a half years, I've been able to get into um, more audition rooms at a certain level. And then at least I've got a chance to, to prove myself. Um, but it's definitely, I don't want to say harder. It's not harder because it's hard to be an actor, even if you have been to drama school. I've, I've acted alongside lots of people who've been to drama school. But there, I think there are less opportunities open for you. Um, I think, because if, if you go to drama school, you can automatically get on spotlight, whether you've done one professional job or zero or five, you know? Um, and if you haven't, you have to try and find those professional credits somehow but you need to get on spotlight to get the professional credits and it's kind of a weird vicious cycle so it's taken me about eight years to get enough credits to have an argument with spotlight for them to maybe allow me on there mm. um so it's it's just it's not impossible but i think it is it is harder for people who haven't been to drama school to maybe get their foot in the door of an audition room. It's an access thing, isn't it, as much as a training thing. The, um, I suppose the, the, you know, if, you've, if you go somewhere and you've got a showcase at the far end of it where you're suddenly unveiled to the industry, then, um, you know, you're theoretically at a bit of an advantage. But it is, you know, have you, I mean, you've, you've clearly found ways to I mean, okay, it's maybe taken slightly longer, but you have found ways to get around that or overcome that. Yeah, I think um, 
I think because my CV is so weird, <laughs> it stands out, which is is good. And also, I try and be as proactive as I can. Um, so if if I can't find any work, I try and make my own. Um, like with the kind of videos I've been doing over um, over lockdown. Um, but it is something I feel is is an issue at the moment. In and, and I'm not discounting the, the training. The training that you get at drama school is. It must. I mean, I've not experienced it, but I've met people from drama school, and it sounds like it's really beneficial. But um, I've met plenty of professional illustrators and graphic designers who don't have the degree I have, but their work is judged on uh, on how good they are, what the final piece is, and stuff. And it's easy easier for people in that industry maybe to see a portfolio, but when you're an actor and I understand why spotlight is a thing and why agents only look at spotlight is to narrow the field because there are so many people that want to be actors and they, they have to narrow it down somehow. Um, but, um, it, you're not seeing everybody's work and I wouldn't, I just wonder if there's a way to get out there and see some regional theater, you know, some, some more working class theater and, you know, with the discussion that's going on at the moment, I don't want to get too political, but um, and if you want, you know, asking for representation and um, and inclusivity, um, and if um, it just putting out an open BAME call um, isn't going to fix everything because at a, at a, that's at the, the 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 end of the journey. And I think the industry needs to start looking at things at the ground level and saying, is theatre available to people of every background? Is it available in the school curriculum for people to try it and experience it and see it and, and start um, figuring out whether they love it and they want to train, you know, um, and looking at the backgrounds of, of, of people and where they come from and maybe trying to make theatre more available. And I, I don't know how you'd fix that. I mean, obviously, there's that. Th that is um, fixing it at the sort of grassroots level is is probably going to be you know key to a sort of sustainable solution for it. But obviously, in the meantime, theatre has to be produced and and has to you know. And I know certainly from our perspective as a producing company, um, we try and make sure that you know where casting calls are going out. Um, that they will go out as broadly as possible to try and reach as you know um, wider a uh, uh, cross section as of performers as possible. We don't um, we encourage voices, you know, performers coming in from underrepresented backgrounds. Casting will still be done on basis of merit, but we 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 try and make sure that there's somebody on the panel who's there to. Um, keep an eye on that sort of thing for us because it's quite it's quite easy i'd share a lot of audition panels and then it's quite easy to you get wrapped up in the performances that are in front of you and you sort of think oh well actually no i really like that person but this you know you need to have somebody in your ear occasionally saying um yes but have you considered x y and z because there will be undoubtedly it's not just you know from sort of bone backgrounds or anything else um there will be uh, cultural or educational or um other differentials that I'm not necessarily aware of that I won't have been factoring in when I'm 
making a decision about casting. So it's it's always I welcome, you know, people like yourself who who have ideas or who who have us at least thinking about it because it helps to inform our thinking about it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mean, it's... it's I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you were, if you were producing or you were, you were putting together a show, I mean, it's how... What, what can we be doing? What, 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 can, what can we do to try and, and amplify some of those voices? I mean, in the immediate term. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? I, I've been talking to um, a lot of, of friends in the industry and theatre companies asking that, that very same question. Um, and it's, it, the, the hard thing is to avoid, it seems, you know, you don't want to just be box ticking no. and you, don't, you know, avoiding tokenism as well and, and putting people on the spot. So it, it it's hard. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but you know, if you've got somebody who is, um, not visibly from a minority and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm technically a minority. I'm just not a minority in the theater industry because I'm, I'm Jewish. Um, so I, I kind of know what it's like to be in an invisible minority in some ways, but, you know, if you're if you have a disability that that people can't see, or if if you're um, trans or um, or any you know LGBTQ plus um, anywhere in that spectrum, um, you know, unless you tell people, they don't necessarily know. So 
you don't want to have to put an actor in a, in a situation where they kind of have to stand up and be like, I'm a, I'm a minority. This company is doing good. There is representation. Um, because that, that's not fair on, on that performer either. So it is, it's really tough. And I, I don't know what the answer is. It's, um, I guess the other thing, and it's something I, I learned really recently. Um, so, um, with all the all the, the the Black Lives Matter protests happening, um, I feel and have felt really useless. Um, no matter what I do, I don't feel like it's enough. And I, I put I put a status up on Facebook, and and I talked about it. I think in the video I made when when you announced I was uh, I'd won the, the competition. Um, but for anyone who's not seen the video, I I am. Um, put this data on Facebook and a friend of mine, she messaged me um, and she said, don't feel useless. Just, um, you know, the, the same advice everybody's been, been getting, which is listen and learn. But she said, if you have a platform, use it. And that is the thing that stuck with me the most. Um, so, you know, if you're a parent, use the platform of being a parent and educate the kids, educate them better and sooner than you were. Um, I've got a friend in New Zealand who only just learned, and he's my age, which is years old, and he just learned about, um, you know, the, the, the history of the, the British people in New Zealand and, and was shocked. So he's going to teach his kid that way before he learned it. And, um, you know, I'm an actor, so, you know, I make YouTube videos. And if I can make a, a valid point on those, I will do. And um, you know, make them inclusive. I've added, I've added subtitles to every single video I've got on there. So there are sort of things you can do from your own situation. And I think that, that um, uh, you know, looking at inclusivity in, in other ways, how you can make a show inclusive as a theatre maker and thinking outside the box in that way um, might be um, another step that could be made as well as just casting. Um, yeah. some very fair points very well made um, you have um, going back to your own performance uh, you've, you've moved now beyond the, the ring as a performer to undertaking a, a, quite a substantial amount of stage combat training which is one of those things that most actors will have at least done some kind of taster in unless you're a natural physical coward like myself but um, what, um, what has that, I only ever play sort of stern authority figures or priests anyway, so. um, but um, what, what has that training brought you and, and what skills beyond the obvious would you say it gives to an actor uh, considering further combat training? Well, first of all, undertaking quality wrestling reference right there, uh, the undertaker. <laughs> um, first of all, um, <laughs> stage combat just felt like a natural progression it bridges the gap for me between professional wrestling and um and theater it's um it's a lot more um i guess i don't want to say safer but um <laughs> wrestling is pretty much improvisation improvised stage combat in the round mm. um so you can't do any kind of you know distance punches with naps or anything because people will see that there's a few feet difference between you. So it was a, it was a, a, a thing, a, a, a really similar but new skill for me to learn. Um, 
and um, it's it's been great because it's taught me um, physical control. So I do quite a lot of comedy, and it, it's really helped with physical comedy, with with timing, and you know if you can fall, you can pratfall. So um, it, it's it's good for that kind of stuff, and and children's theatre as well. You know having that. Um, big physical presence and that control over your body you can you know um, adapt to to multi-rolling and um, and to changing your physicality so that you walk in different ways and things like that so it's actually more than just combat I think once you get used to the, the, the sheer physicality and fitness that's involved with it as well and learning about how much you can do with your body and where about do you or have you trained? So before I moved to Canada, I did a short course uh, with a chap called Tom Jordan. Um, and he is a fight director for the uh, APC, which is the Academy of Performance Combat. Mm. Um, and um, when I moved back, I got in touch with him and uh, did more courses with him and started getting qualifications and meeting other fight directors through the APC. Um, and um, uh, if you don't know about stage combat, uh, it, it's it's done in levels. So there's there's basic, uh, intermediate, advanced, and then there's levels after that if you want to be insane. <laughs> but um, at, at basic, you have to have uh, um, unarmed and single sword, and then any other weapon. Um, qualification before you can move up to intermediate so there are um, because that sort of unarmed and single sword are kind of the base knowledge for quite a lot of other weapon systems and things like that so once you once you get to advanced you can do ridiculous weapons that will probably never come up on stage like a friend of mine has spent the whole of lockdown practicing with his nunchucks um, <laughs> I've never seen a play with nunchucks in but I can't wait to um, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 some sort of Shakespearean updating there that's due to you know I'm sure it's well overdue. <laughs> um, and um, I mean, you've been talking about them spending lockdown training with their nunchucks. How have you been spending lockdown? Have you been have you been working? Um, I spent the first couple of weeks of lockdown um, in despair, <laughs> and. Um, I um I had some work booked and obviously it got cancelled and I I didn't know what to do. This is my only job, so um I had a mini freak out as I'm sure many actors did, <laughs> and uh, and I needed a reason to to get out of bed. To be honest, so um I found I found my little my little sonnet book, mm. and it's it's proper dog-eared now, so I've made good use of it. Um, and I just wanted to see how many sonnets I could learn. Um, I've got some friends who work for the uh, the birthplace, Shakespeare's birthplace in, in Stratford. And they, they'd spent the last sort of month or two before lockdown learning um, lots of monologues and duologues for that. So I just thought, oh, I wonder how much, wonder how much I can learn. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who runs a theatre in Bath. Uh, he's, he's called Ian McGlynn. The theatre's the Rondo Theatre which is actually the theatre I have performed the most at, I think, over, over my the first top three or four years of, of being an actor. Um, I, I don't think I'd be an actor if it wasn't for that theatre, to be honest. 
Um, but he said, record it, put them online. Um, there's no theatre, so um, people have got to watch something. Um, and uh, so I did, and uh, I um, I decided to do translation at the end. Um, and I don't I don't know what it was. I think it was just on a whim, and because I'd done one. I thought oh, I'll do another one. They were really fun to do. So, so I, I read the sonnet and then I improvise sort of what it means in modern English, and um, and people started to really really like them. They'd go in and they'd watch them. Then they'd watch the translation and they'd go back and watch the sonnet again and feel like they could understand it a bit more, which was kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Um, I don't really think about it when I do it. I just film them. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> and if it comes up, so if you watch them from number one, um, you can see me get sl- more, more disheveled as the lockdown goes on and also more insane with the translation. So I think once you hit about number 14 and I turn the bathroom into a fortune teller's kind of parlor, you could tell that I'd lost it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, uh, you obviously submitted one of these to to my company when we were uh, looking for monologues um, and and songs as part of a project we did to try and give some something to do as well as a tiny amount of money to um, 100 actors um, who had found themselves out of work um, because of of the lockdown. Um, and so we got your sonnet eight in, um, and that then went to public vote, which you won uh, considerably. And, just while you're here, um, what? How, I mean, how did you find out about the, the competition? I mean, what sort of drew you to it? And what drew you to it to submit one of these? I mean, was it to submit one of these? Was it just that you were you were working on them at the time? And well, um, I actually uh, there's a, a Facebook group called Theatre Bristol, and someone had posted about it in there, and that's how I um, mm. found out about it. Um, I think I later saw it on Mandy. Um, but I saw it on Facebook first. Um, and I thought about it and I was like, well, I've got these, <laughs> I've got these videos. Um, and I think I'd done about 10 or 11 at the time. And um, I almost didn't, I almost didn't apply. Which, it makes it even more surprising to me that, that I wouldn't because uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm wearing a baseball cap and <laughs> And a, a Brett the Hitman Heart wrestling T-shirt, <laughs> reciting Shakespeare to heavy metal is very strange. And uh, I, I picked that one because it was my favourite that I'd done at the time. Um, my second favourite, my favourite one was a bit political, um, <laughs> which is number eleven, and I recommend people watch it. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it was my favourite one, um, and it was sort of the first first one I'd done that was a bit more creative i think putting the songs in and and stuff um and uh and i just thought it was ridiculous and that i wasn't going to get through but it didn't hurt, it didn't hurt to fill in an application form and send it in and, and then i was really shocked when i'd even got got into the competition um so um yeah i um at that point I'd been putting these videos up and, and my friends had been watching them and, um, and I wasn't really doing anything else with them. And, 
even though they were kind of silly and a bit of fun, I have worked really, really hard on them. So I thought I'll just send one in and see what happens. And uh, yeah, it, it, and here we are. I'm shocked. <laughs> 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 yeah, I couldn't, it's very hard to tell over the phone when my friend you up to tip you off that you'd got it. It's, it was just the sort of silence down the phone. <laughs> the phone oh, I cried yeah, when you told me. <laughs> 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 um, now, there is one person you're attempting to collaborate with on your sonnet project, isn't there? Uh, there I, is. can't, I can't promise he'll be watching, but what would you like to say on this topic? Oh, oh fair enough. Um, so, uh, address him directly, or uh, do you want me to explain? Okay. For anybody who is unsure of who we're talking about, this is, of course... Uh, so, dear Patrick Stewart, um, I've sent you... Uh, well, I've made quite a few videos referencing the fact that I'd like to perform a sonnet with you. Uh, and I know that a lot of people have tweeted my videos to you. So I know that um, you're a busy man, but we're in lockdown. So if you get the time, click on one of the videos and give it a watch. And if you like it, I'm really easy to get hold of. <laughs> well, we will do our best. We will do our Thanks. best to get in front of him. Uh, I can't make any guarantees, but we are doing our best. Um, who... It, be it in your, you know, works and actor or in general, who, who's your biggest influence? Oh, as, a, as an actor? Well, um, it can be more than one. It's all right. <laughs> That's really hard. Um, I mean, I, I, I've been doing this for, like I said, nearly nine years and I still haven't figured out my casting yet. Um, and, and, uh, uh, I've more figured out what I can't play than what, what my my little box is. So I like to think that I'm a character actor. So actors like Mark Strong um, and Gary Oldman and, and people like that who um, who play very different characters all the time are, are people that I really admire and how they can really um, sort of change and inhabit these different these different people quite quite a lot. They're not they're not playing the same person every time they're on screen so i really enjoy watching those sorts of performances uh, those sorts of performers i think um yeah that's a really hard question <laughs> <laughs> when we get to the far side of the, the current crisis that we're all going through at the moment what what would you like to see come out of lockdown as far as the arts are concerned uh support a lot of support, I think, um, you know, um, financial support is obviously needed, uh, you see from, from, from the, the ground up and that, that isn't down to, um, just people in lockdown. I know that that's something that needs to be addressed on a, on a national kind of level, but if there's a show, go see it. That's the best way you can, you can support it, I think. And, um, I'm, I'm hoping that because people have been deprived of of theatre for you know several months now, I think we've been in lockdown longer than some people go to jail. So um, you know, I think I'm hoping, and it goes the same for live music as well. Um, that um, there'll be a, a rush to that very first show. I hope that people will feel safe enough 
to be able to go out to see a show uh, when when we're ready um, and and support support those theatres and and not just the big ones, the little ones too. You know, go support the um, the Rondos and the Merlins as much as you support the, the Globes and the Nationals and and stuff. I think it's really important that uh, people just enjoy it because um, people like myself streaming little videos and places like the national putting whole shows on youtube and and streaming even streaming services like like netflix just put i think there's some dave Chappelle um new stand-up for free on youtube all this stuff's been made available and help people people keep sane during this time so so show some love back yeah one of the um people who has been carried away in in 2020 was james lipton who founded the um Action director and for, um, founded Inside the Actors Studio as a show and as a as a course uh, in New York. Um, he finished uh, each of his interviews with um, ten quickfire questions, which he had and has stolen from someone else. So I don't feel any shame in stealing them from him. Um, so why am I nervous? <laughs> <laughs> what's your favourite word? I don't think I can say it. <laughs> you can, because there's question seven coming up, so you can say whatever you like. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't... What's my favourite word? I know it's quickfire questions. I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> bastard. Bastard's my favourite word. I'm a Sean Bean fan. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your least favourite word? Uh, oh, uh, minge. What turns you on? Answer that however you like. Um, passion. And off? Uh, being fake. Which is ironic for an actor. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Uh, you know when you've got like wet clay or mud and you squelch it with your hands? <laughs> that noise. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, when you stand too close to the ride cymbal, when they smash it, when you're in a band and it goes right through your ear, even if you've got, even if you've got um, earplugs in, that sound. Um, we may get some duplication here, but we may not. What's your favourite swear word? Uh, cunt, I think. No, I know it's got a horrible backstory and I shouldn't say it anymore. I learned that recently, but it's the catharsis of saying it. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? A barber. And uh, and what profession would you not like to do? Uh, anything in an office. Uh, when your time comes, uh, if you find yourself waking up and discovering that heaven actually does exist, what would you like to hear said to you on your arrival? Uh, you were this close, mate, but uh, you know, sorry. <laughs> Ashley, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Dark Unicorn in Conversation with guest Ashley Shires, written, presented and edited by Paddy Cooper, title music by Curtis Batson, special thanks to the estate of James Lipton, Tom Jordan and the Academy for Performance Combat, Opera Bath, Rondo Theatre and Lance Storm. The series is executive produced for Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Alan Stone.
COVID-19 presents one of the greatest threats to theatre in living memory. The performing arts need you now more than ever. Please, consider supporting our work by becoming a patron, with packages starting at just £50 per year to be a rainbow unicorn. Just visit darkunicorn.org. Science helps us solve problems, but creativity helps us cope with them. Please don't let the performing arts be another casualty of the pandemic. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.